Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, my guest today is a freelance writer and copy editor based in Boulder, Colorado. They are themselves an endurance cyclist, have dipped toe in trail running, and they write about the outdoors, people, and communities. They also take incredible photographs that, like their writing, foreground the beauty of human interactions and incidental moments. You can see a lot of their things on Instagram, so you can go for a good stalk after this conversation. (laughs) Um, Without further ado, I'd love them to now introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing and welcome them to the podcast. Hello. (laughs) Hi, thanks so much. Um, I'm Haley Moore, and um, that was such a, a flattering intro. Um, I live in Boulder, Colorado, um, and yes, I'm a freelance writer. Uh, I mostly write in the cycling space, and um, on the personal side of things, uh, I am a bit endurance curious, I guess I would say, um, mostly in bikepacking, adventure cycling, and more recently, doing a little bit of more uh, mountain running objectives as well. Yeah, I'm so excited to touch on all of those with you, Haley. You really are a woman of, of many talents and strings to your bow. So really curious to see where we go with this. Um, you may not be um known to kind of a, especially sort of like a UK audience. So I'm just keen to kind of dial into sort of your your background, um, starting with kind of growing up and what that was like and what your relationship to the outdoors and movement was, but any anything outside of that as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that's great. Um, well, I grew up on the East Coast in North Carolina, which is sort of, you know, centrally located on the East Coast, um, for those not familiar or as familiar with U.S. geography. But um, I, I guess I didn't really start to develop a relationship with the outdoors until college, uh, you know, aside from the random camping trip here and there as a kid. Um, it wasn't until I started climbing in college, um, specifically doing bouldering, that I really started to connect with the land and my surroundings and seeing that as a tool for uh, for just getting to know a place. Because, you know, when you travel somewhere, um, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but when you travel somewhere, I think it can sometimes feel artificial to try to ingrain yourself in the area for such a short time. You know, that's kind of why the bucket list of tourist attractions exists is to give people a way to, in a very uh, finite window, try to understand a place. But I think when you're able to have an activity, whether it's running or riding or climbing or 
any of those other things, um, it's sort of an automatic way to immediately connect with a place. And I didn't really start to understand that until after college when uh, a now ex-boyfriend and I did um, like a six-month climbing road trip following graduation uh, in his Honda Element. So, you know, no glamorous (laughs) van life situation. (laughs) But for our purposes, it worked. And also, I think when you're that young, you'll put up with just about anything. Um, so yeah, we traveled around the U.S. for climbing, for bouldering, you know, to try to see where else we might land. Um, you know, looking back, it's kind of mind blowing to me that before that trip, really, I had never experienced, you know, a real desert landscape. I had never experienced a real like alpine landscape. So I think in, in those moments, it was a lot to, to process, but I, I did feel this sense that, um, I wanted to explore those areas more and kind of have have the means, you know, physically to be able to get into those places with more comfort. So it was very uh, much about connecting with the landscape that that got you into into movement. Really, it was a way of moving into the landscape in a way. No, it wasn't that intentional, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I think it would be be so lovely and poetic to say that, but I think. You know, when I first started climbing, um, it was very 50-50 split between bouldering and a gym. And then in Western North Carolina, where I started climbing, there's no guidebook or anything like that. So you really did need to be shown sort of the areas to go. Um, But I definitely saw it as like a training pursuit, like from the very beginning. I think I've always been... Uh, for better or worse, more of a type A person in the sense that I'm very goal driven. Um, I need to have structure and uh, routine. And actually, I think that that was a deterrent or not a deterrent, but something that hindered my climbing for a long time, because I would put all this pressure on myself Mm. to perform and then just have like a totally shit time out you know so I was kind of like missing the point (laughs) of like you know I wasn't having enough grace with myself wasn't acknowledging that all of these things all these pursuits that we take on outside require a lot of time um and everybody progresses at different rates um so no it wasn't about connecting with the land initially but I think over time especially after that trip um you know, I started, I started to be able to get outside of my own head for the Mm -hmm. first time, probably like in my whole life (laughs) and see these opportunities for recreation outside as something more than just a way to mark like your own worth, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you say that. And it's something that I want to delve back into as we move on, because I know that, that you've written um, in a few places about sort of being being type A <laughs> personality and kind of the, the benefits and the hindrances that that can bring. And I think I'm quite similar <laughs> in my in my mindset as well. Um, and I'm kind of interested in that trajectory that you went on, particularly with your relationship with bouldering and, 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 and climbing, because um, I know that you sort of moved away from that. Um, so what was that journey? I mean, I loved bouldering for, I, I would say I still love the activity um, mm-hmm. itself. I think it's, I think it's one of the most unique and like varied forms of movement. Um, 
it's so creative in a way, you know, with the, the diff, literally the different types of moves that can happen between like you and the formation that you're climbing. Um, it also has an element of style to it, which I've, I've written about this before. I'm not a very like graceful dancer or anything like that, but I think that bouldering like kind of lets you feel like you have the means or you have the vehicle to exercise that kind of expression. Um, so I think that really drew me to it. Um, the strength aspect of it was very enticing in its own way. You know, feeling strong feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for a time in college, I would lift weights and do these crazy core workouts and like all this stuff to chase that feeling because when, you know, in bouldering, so you have your, your routes, um, they're called problems typically. And, um, you know, completing a problem is, is called sending not to try to be too pedantic or anything, but so when you would send something and it would just feel effortless, like that was like the best Mm. feeling, you know, you feel weightless, uh, the moves just sort of are happening. You're not really like trying, And so, I mean, that's a form of like flow feeling, which a lot of endurance athletes talk about, but I think in bouldering, because it's more complicated than just continuing to move, it almost had a little bit more gratification to it. And because in climbing failure, is just way more common than success. If you're trying to push your limits, you know, you're failing, I don't know, in the 90th percentile amount of times to however much you're succeeding. Um, So I think there's also just not as much gratification. And so that was like a double-edged sword for me because uh, at that point in my life, you know, I was, I was a fairly good student growing up. I didn't really have to like work that hard to be a good student. Um, But you still get all of the uh, positive reinforcement that comes with, being successful, whether or not you're trying. So people are still, you know, complimenting you on your academic successes or whatnot. Um, so I was not very good at failing in both, you know, in life, especially in, in bouldering when it was something that I actually like really cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think kind of that might be the starting point. And, you know, I'm still on that path of figuring out how to kind of accept the process except progress in whatever form that takes without attaching like self-worth to that. And in this like, you know, weird sort of ironic way, you often perform better when you take the pressure off yourself. So it's a liberating, it's a liberating thing, but you know, there's lots of, <laughs> I could, I could go, I could list, you know, a dozen times now just in the last like five years where I've had a backslide and I feel like, Oh, looking back, I'm like, ashamed or embarrassed that like I didn't have a better control over my um my acceptance of like a situation so um but with bouldering yeah to get back to your main point um I bouldered basically exclusively through college and then for three years following so probably six to seven years total um it's sort of what brought me here to Colorado um following that road trip um that person and I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee for about oh, a little over a year. 
kind of was always the plan to move west. Um, I just hadn't been quite ready to leave the familiarity of the East Coast at that time. And we already had some good friends in Chattanooga. It's also an amazing climbing town. So it was Mm -hmm. an easy decision. Uh, But then ultimately in uh, October of 2016, I started an internship, an editorial internship at Climbing Magazine. And and that's here in Boulder, or was. Um, So that was the foot in the door here. And so, yeah, I've lived in Boulder for uh, about six and a half years since then. And moving literally to climb, really, with the first career opportunities or school or whatever. But, um, and it was half that, but I would also say the other half of it was um, a lifestyle based decision, um, climbing, and then also just sort of the general approach here in Colorado in terms of um, the politics, the um, healthier lifestyles as mm-hmm. compared to the south you know when you get out of the outdoor industry were all really appealing to me Uh, and I had lived in the south my whole life so it seemed like it would be valuable to experience somewhere else Uh, but then you know um, incidentally (laughs) after moving to Boulder after this person and I had broken up probably a year and a half after that I really started to fall out of love with bouldering here and but, you know, that's kind of checked by the fact that I was also getting more curious about the endurance stuff, running and riding. You know, the mountains are just, you can just see them, you know, from a lot of places in Colorado. And um, bouldering started to feel sort of, not to be condescending, but it sort of started to feel sort of small um, mm. because you're not really in the mountains. I mean, even alpine bouldering, you're still usually sort of in those talus fields you know, between the mountains, um, below, below treeline or either just above treeline. Um, and I also have always been a pretty solitary person. So, and I was never that comfortable bouldering by myself, although I very much respect the people who do plenty of people do. Um, and so being able to, uh, pick up activities that I could just go out and do myself, anytime I wanted um, was also um, highly appealing. Yeah, I guess with the endurance stuff, I mean, it is taking you, it's the most efficient way of going further and you can proficiently do it in an autonomous fashion, which <laughs> it sounds like for you, that was that was really important. And it, it does kind of, I guess, relate back to the idea of strength too. Um, I mean, I know there's quite a lot of research into, into kind of like strength training and, and weightlifting actually it has a massively fantastic impact on people's mental health in the in the way that the way that kind of like the strength of climbing did as well so I guess it's kind of a a natural progression for you wanting to kind of push yourself literally further (laughs) but but taking those elements um from your climbing experience as well so that kind of that sort of answers the um the, the kind of question about what what attracted you to cycling but I'm kind of interested then when you started doing these sort of more multi-day kind of bikepacking events what was what was the jump to that yeah um so I got my first gravel bike in June of 2018 and then that fall um I started dating my uh, my current partner uh Anton or Tony as I call him 
and he had he had some experience bike touring um you know he had done um a couple of longer multi-day things but never in um, a race setting mm-hmm. and you know i would say that he was still he was definitely more in into it than i was because i had basically no experience but he was still getting fully uh you know sucked into that world as well <laughs> we went on a two-day tour <laughs> here in colorado um a route that he designed that circumnavigated pike's peak down in colorado springs and the aesthetics of the route you know kind of having this unifying creative element to it you know going around a mountain um and then just having my expectations for myself you know completely just blown out of the water i mean we did more riding you know our first day i think we rode 95 miles and i had never ridden more than 45 miles on a bike Mm -hmm. much less like a loaded bike so that was just like this mind-blowing epiphany of like oh wow like you know the bike is so low impact you can go at such a low intensity yet still carry all the things that you need that you really can cover these sort of amazing distances um so that was definitely a pivotal moment and then he and i did quite a bit of just casual touring together mostly for the following two years um during uh during 2020 sort of it's funny to look back and say that was like the height of the pandemic, but you know, it really was like later that the most cases were happening. But regardless, <laughs> in the spring of 2020, when, uh, or sorry, early summer of 2020, when everything was locked down, some races that I had planned to do were canceled. Um, I went on my first solo, just overnight um, bikepacking trip here from home. It was a route that I was 50% familiar with. And then um, the second half I wasn't. So it was kind of this nice, like easing in or easing out of my comfort zone. You know, basically the whole first day I knew what to expect. I kind of knew where I would camp. And then the second day was uh, largely unknown. Um, So after that, I think it was. It was the next year after that, uh, 2021, that I entered my first bikepacking race, the Colorado North-South, which again was, it was, uh, I benefited a lot from the route and being very familiar with the route, you know, from all of our tours and everything, it was the same kind of thing where even though the route was... 530 miles I was probably familiar with at least 400 miles of the route um you know kind of patchwork here and there but then and then really it was just the the most southern stretch of the route that was unknown to me um but it's a different even though I was familiar with the terrain navigating that headspace of being out there and trying to push yourself for you know three and a half days was was new um was a new was new territory for me um so that was the first bikepacking race that I did and honestly I haven't done a ton of um bikepacking efforts you know I would say this this past spring I went out to Arkansas when I heard about this new route put together by Andrew Onermoth called the uh the doom route (laughs) (laughs) and it kind of condenses 
what's considered the most challenging terrain of a longer route, the Arkansas high country, which is around a thousand miles. Um, it takes, I would say like the hardest section of that route and then turns it into a loop. So it's 375 miles um, in the Ozarks. And there had only been a handful of other people who had gone out and done ITTs on it. Um, three people, I think. One individual person and then two guys together, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and at that time, I was planning on doing this single push 360 mile race as part of the Unbound series. Mm. So the Unbound XL in June. And uh, not to make this too convoluted, but I thought that by going out and doing a time trial on the Doom route in early May would be kind of this last training push. And in my naive thinking at that time, I was like, oh, if I'm tough enough to do this in the Ozarks, like surely I can ride 360 much flatter miles around other people, mm. you know, in this race. Um Ultimately, I had a really positive experience on the Doom route, um, and then, <laughs> and then on my goal race, actually the XL, I ended up having a lot of stomach problems, and ultimately ended up dropping from the race at 300 miles. But I don't know how in the weeds we want to get about that. <laughs> oh, bless you! I imagine that not completing that as well that might have also played havoc with your levels of perfectionism possibly as well would that be the case <laughs> yes you know it's it was the first it's the first thing that I've done still that I haven't finished in terms of a race or mm -hmm. just an objective that I you know had kind of earmarked as this big goal um so I think fortunately I had already made plans with a friend of mine um the woman Kate I'm in earlier to scout and complete this high alpine um foot travel route here in colorado the la freeway this summer mm -hmm. so i was actually able to table the bike for a bit after the xl which i think was it's probably what i needed to do just kind of step away um and be able to shift focus and have this meaningful experience in another context. Um, but now I do feel motivated to get back on the bike this year. Um, and I don't think that I'll actually go back to the XL straight away. Um, I think it would benefit me to have a little bit more experience in the, you know, the quote unquote, like shorter stuff, you know, anything <laughs> that's shorter than 360 miles doesn't necessarily mean it's that short. Um, but it is definitely on my list to go back and, and see through. And it sounds like, um, because you're, you're the doom course. <laughs> I think I, I think I read that somewhere and thought like, is that, is that right? Should I bring that up? Is, is it called the doom course? <laughs> it's called the doom course. Um, <laughs> that's obviously different to, to a race because you are doing it solo. And as we kind of discussed previously, that, that kind of autonomy does, does seem to attract you. And I was wondering kind of what does, <clears throat> what did that challenge and kind of, solo touring in general what does it give you yeah it's weird because whenever I talk about this with people it's not like you're just flying high and like enjoying it the whole time mm. um you know for me 
I've probably done maybe five, uh, including Doom, little like solo missions at this point, um, five or six. And there's always this kind of adjustment period at the beginning where you're kind of like, okay, like, do I want to be doing this? You know, like, what am I doing? Uh, but then you do kind of just slow down, I guess, mentally and like settle into the rhythm of, of just being with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that fortunately I've always been, yeah, more introverted, like, like I said earlier and being inside my own head has always been a relatively comfortable place. I mean, of course, you know, everybody has, has their moments uh, when you're having unkind thoughts uh, about yourself or projecting or doubting or whatnot. Um, But no, generally it's by, you know, the second or third day for me, it's a really, um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's just like, it's a, it's just a contentment that I feel almost with not having to exert any energy elsewhere. You know, I think so often, especially for people who try to balance various aspects of their life, whether it's like professional and athletic, or if you have kids or, you know, even just um, a romantic partner, even though these are things that you want to be giving to, I don't think that we live in a place that really rewards, uh, you know, people call it like me time, <laughs> which I kind of like roll my eyes at. <laughs> it's just a lot of like introspection and giving yourself the the permission to only focus your energy like inward. Mm-hmm. Um and for me that's always the most comfortable place to be on multi-day outings because you're not, you don't have anything reflected back at you. You know, I love, I love touring with my partner, um, but it's a totally different experience. You know, there's ongoing conversation. Um, he's also a stronger rider than I am. So we're always kind of checking in on like, how does this feel? You know, are we both happy with this pace? And, and I mean, we're comfortable with it. You know, we'll drift uh, apart on climbs and then, you know, regroup at the top. You know, we, it's not like we're talking each other's ear off like the entire time um, and we'll do the podcast thing and, and whatever. But there is just something totally different about being able to uh, hold all of that energy and keep it for yourself and feel like you're just totally focused on what you need to be doing to like keep moving forward. Yeah, that's such an interesting reflection. I think that it is that the only person dependent on you is is you. <laughs> and although you might be pushing yourself really hard, you it's very liberating, I think, isn't it? To just have that simplicity almost of, I just need to get through this moment and then the next moment and then the next moment. And so I think whenever anyone says that, oh, it must have been really tough. Well, yes, yeah, it's tough. But, but there's also lots of it that's very, it simplifies things and makes it easier in a way, I guess, especially as you say, if you're juggling lots of things. And some of those things can be really positive relationships, but that comes with <laughs> with its own pressures and expectations and things as well, doesn't it? Even even if it gives us joy, joy and love. Um, and I'm kind of interested then that you you mentioned your um your re- well quite relatively recent um trail running challenge with your friend Kate um 
And I just wanted to delve into why it was maybe important for you to do that with her as a joint thing and, and actually what, what that involved as well. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Kate and I met in the summer of 2020. And, you know, as <laughs> as Instagram lets us do these days, I had, you know, I was aware of her. Um, I was definitely intimidated by her. You know, she was really one of the only other women in my sphere of awareness that was kind of pushing herself in the mountains locally, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I think that there are many women doing this that choose to stay under the radar or are just under the radar. So I don't mean to make it sound like there's like this little exclusive club of us, <laughs> but I do think that generally the type of terrain that Kate was pursuing, um, that I had started to pursue, you know, low end fifth class, uh, otherwise termed, you know, scrambling, if it's something that you feel comfortable doing without a rope, um, was very unique, you know, and I also, um, oh, I had just, I think, been not even consciously, but perhaps unconsciously, like, feeling this, like, absence of uh, a strong, like, female friend that mm-hmm. I, that also I sort of, like, looked up to and whatever. I just hadn't really stumbled upon anybody like that in Colorado. Um, so Kate and I got out for some runs, and then I actually... I'm so happy she's decided to still be friends with me. But that (laughs) that fall that we first met, I asked if she wanted to go on like an overnight bikepacking trip with me. I just, I sandbagged her so hard. And I sandbagged myself too with part of the route that I didn't know. And it was a Mm -hmm. testing experience for both of us. But then we were still friends afterwards. And I was like, oh, wow, she really is a quality human. So (laughs) (laughs) fast forward to this, uh, to the winter, spring of 2022. um, We had just sort of fallen into the habit of getting out for at least uh, a run together once a week. You know, when when it's really dark in the mornings and the trails are snowy, it's it's really nice to have somebody who you can just chat with, and you're not really thinking about the conditions. Um, and so, yeah, we we kind of fell into this. Kate is much more of a runner than I am um, in terms of her, you know, resume you could call it and her experience. You know, she had done her first hundred mile race last summer, um, and you know, during our spring winter outings, um, I knew that she was going to be finishing her PhD program this summer and most likely moving away. So at some point the idea just arose that, you know, she wanted to do this route, the LA freeway, which goes from Long's peak to South Arapaho peak, and then links all of the peaks along the continental divide she kind of wanted to do that as this like farewell Colorado project, since it seemed unlikely that she would be staying local um, and asked if I wanted to partner uh, with her for it. It's a, it's a pretty technical route. Um, It's very slow. And I think that, I just think that we both felt more comfortable being able to scout the route together. um, And then also, during the actual go for it. Um, yeah. Just having that other person who's like checking your judgment on like, Oh, is that really like 
good rock. You're, you know, just kind of keeping each other safe and accountable. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how that came about. It sounds like a fantastic partnership. Really does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is she someone that you'll stay? Are you staying in contact with her? Have you got plans to do anything more together? I guess, as you said, that was a bit of a last hurrah for her in Colorado, but. Yeah, so she's in Burlington, Vermont now, um, and we've loosely talked about putting something together for next summer, but, mm. you know, there'll be some calendar comparison and and whatnot, but yeah, so we'll at least get out for um, some, you know, more fun outings. I don't know if we'll go anything for anything together as, as consequential as the freeway, but I'm sure we'll we'll find something to do, yeah. <laughs> and when you're, because you write a lot about about your experiences of these challenges and, and your bikepacking adventures and things, and you talk a lot about the different communities that you connect with as well. And we kind of touched on this a little bit in terms of connecting with landscape at the beginning, but it seems that community is something that is really important to you um, from a writing and and a kind of adventuring sort of perspective, I guess. And I was wondering if there's, is there a particular experience that you've had that um, that kind of sticks with you in terms of immersing yourself in a community and also kind of how that different has, if whatever that was, how it differs to the community in Boulder? Yeah, no, that's actually a great question. Um, I think that the concept of community is a really important and a really like necessary thing. Mm -hmm. However, I also think that it can be kind of thrown around as, I mean, it's just such a buzzword now that ultimately it can start to lose meaning depending on how you're talking about it. Um, But I will say I recently had an experience where I did feel like, Oh, this is real community. Um, Tony was invited to the UTCT, uh, ultra trail Cape town race. And so we traveled there to get, they were kind enough to, um, cover my travel as well. So we traveled there, um, just before Thanksgiving actually. And originally, uh, we had both hoped to do slightly longer distances than we ended up doing, but I think just the late timing of the year, you know, it's the beginning of summer for them in a sense, but very much into fall for us here in the States. Um, so anyway, we bumped down, we each bumped down um, to a shorter distance, but we got to experience the local running community there. Um, the race director, Stu, he, I believe he is the spearhead behind this group run that happens there on Tuesdays called Tuesday Trails or Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday Trails. Um, and I know that the turnout was probably multiplied, you know, two or three times over by the fact that the race was happening that upcoming weekend. And so you have all these out of towners and that kind of thing. But this was by far like the biggest group run I have ever been to like in my entire life. There was, there was like 200 people there. Um, and so we, we broke up into five groups, you know, they have these like kind of funny names for like each of the groups. And, you know, so they're uh, the groups, of course, um, each have kind of like a different um, 
pace that they that they go and and we just went with like the very slowest group because you know we were just trying to rest up before the race that weekend um and it just didn't feel like forced you know it just felt like everybody was just kind of out there like shuffling along together making easy conversation um the woman who led our group was incredibly like cheerful you know and welcoming without it feeling like forced or fake um the filmmaker so sportiva uh is i think they're gonna be putting out a short film about uh their athletes experience in cape town um so we were with this one filmmaker and photographer uh during during the group run but then i later met his girlfriend and you know she offered to like drive me around um during the day when tony was racing and and we i think we'll actually keep in touch you know we like kind of hit it off like like real friends and we ended up going out to dinner together just us at a later point but then during the race itself you know the utct i think it has oh god let me think five different distances um there's like a 23k a 35k a 55k the 100k and then a 100 mile race and a few of those routes went up uh table mountain which is you know of course like the the iconic uh peak behind cape town or that cape town kind of like wraps around rather um and there's this one like well all of it's quite steep but there's this one really steep pitch maybe a third or close to like halfway up cable um that's just like this staircase and so a core group of like the local runners there turned it into like a mini Zagama, you know, where like they just got like the spec, you know, the fans on either side. And even if you're in the back of the pack, they're still there cheering for you. And a lot of these people, I think were pulling like double duty, you know, as crew for some of the racers. And, um, and this woman I, I mentioned who, who I ended up connecting with, you know, she did the thing with me on Friday during Tony's event her partner raced the hundred K the next day. Mm -hmm. So she was up for like 24 hours crewing him. And then she was still there at the finish on Sunday when I finished my race. And it was just a lot of people like that, you know? Um, I would say that the Cape town running community, it left a really strong and like positive impression. Yeah. That sounds like an incredible experience. And in sort of, you do touch on the, um, an idea that I guess a, a lot of us are becoming more aware of in terms of also how we sort of present ourselves on social media and things, which is, again, another buzzword of sort of authenticity and actually what meaningful connection means. Um, and like you said, you can kind of think about, oh, there's communities that you're connecting with all the time, but actually there's there's a lot of complexity around that and also with with travel as well and notions of, of privilege as well and, and how you're impacting on those communities before then before then leaving and um and it sounds like what you found there was was some were some some really authentic and true connections that that will have longevity in them uh, in them as well and far away from the states too <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to kind of move on to talking a little bit more about your writing and um, having gone around the houses with that, it does relate to it because I was I was thinking about, do you feel like a pressure or a need to kind of have an identity as a writer? 
that's a good question. <laughs> so it's funny because I actually started writing, I kept this little travel blog during that road trip that I mentioned earlier after college because I wanted to have this little project that like felt creative, that um, felt like a way that our friends could keep up with what we were doing, but then also that felt detached or or slightly separated from, you know, my actual like climbing performance. Mm. Um, so that's really when I started writing, I guess you could say. And then, you know, it's kind of ebbed and flowed since then. And I would, and I do feel like I'm in a situation now where I'm writing more uh, than I ever have, you know, for, well, it's for work, but it's, it's pleasurable as well. Um, the question of identity is interesting because, you know, I've often identified with, <laughs> I've often, I've heard people say before that you should keep your identity like as small as possible because then it, okay. So for instance, I'm a, say if I say I'm a runner, I identify with like the running community. If then I feel like that I'm not able to run, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm injured or, or whatever, or I just maybe find myself, becoming uninterested in it what do I have left um on the other hand I think the flip side of that argument is well you do want to find community and you do want to find connection um and so I think that having an identity as a writer for me it feels the most comfortable and it feels the most appropriate because really that just means that you're sort of like a vehicle for like telling other people's stories or trying to convey your own experiences in a way that hopefully like resonates like with other people. It's not quite the same way as like, I guess it feels like there's slightly less ego in saying I'm a writer than saying I'm a bike pack racer or I'm a psycho. Yeah. But then of course that kind of, that obviously shows like my own hangups with that. Like mm-hmm. I don't judge other people obviously who say I'm a runner or I'm a cyclist. Like I barely even, I don't even think twice if people say that, but I think for some reason, if I present myself in that way, it just feels like more ego driven. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but yeah, saying I'm a writer, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's probably the most comfortable uh, identifier I can use I really love I really love that reflection actually because you are totally right that saying I'm a runner you feel like you have to be running <laughs> or you have to be justifying why you're not running and somehow being okay with it um, and and then kind of saying well I'm finding all these other things like I'm a writer too so I'll just go down like the writing route or I've still got my voice so I can use my voice and actually those things of having a voice and connecting with each other they are a thing in themselves but I think possibly like you I find actually writing is is sort of liberating in a way um, and speaking is liberating in a way because 
it kind of flows in a way that you don't have to think about how you're sort of presenting it other than the words on the page or the conversation that you're having <laughs> which is hopefully authentic to use that <laughs> that word I think and I'm, I'm interested actually having said that um we talked about perfectionism and sort of type A personality in conjunction with um, with movement. And I wonder, is that kind of self-critical voice there when you write as well? Not any, not so much anymore. Um, I still want to, I think that having some amount of self-criticism is not inherently bad because it's pushing you, you know, it's only, I think it only becomes problematic when it starts to become uh, this thing that you're like afraid of, or that's like a hindrance. You know, I think that wanting to be able to produce and convey sort of like novel stories or um, interesting ways of telling, you know, telling what might feel like kind of a, a trope or like a worn out uh, narrative, you know, that's kind of only fueled by having some amount of, uh, ego or like wanting to like strive. And I think that that's only, that's only possible when you have some amount of, of self-criticism or, um, another word for that would just be motivation <laughs> if it's not problematic, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it is, it's present in my writing, but, I would say over the past, oh, maybe the past year, um, I've I've hit, kind of hit like a good stride with it, and I feel mm-hmm. uh, more confident with it. And um, you know, of course, I've had uh, positive feedback from people, which which always helps you feel like what you're doing is being well received, and it's it's creating value for people. And and so, um, you know, as much as as I think we say that intrinsic motivation is the most important thing. And I think that's correct. Something like writing or any other form of expression that you are, that's inherently being produced for an audience. Um, it requires some amount of external validation for you to want to keep doing it. <laughs> well, I guess that's the process of craft, isn't it, as well, and, and honing yes. your craft and improving. And it's sort of interesting your your reflections also on um on not finishing a race, for example. Yeah, that is that motivates you to want to go back and finish it because you've problem solved some things or reflected on some things, whether that be psychological or or, or physical or both. <laughs> sort of all the psychological shit and literal shit that you might have to have gone through and then you can that motivates you to move forwards and and I kind of like thinking about the idea of craft because um I picked up on when you were talking about making cycling routes and that being an inherently creative process which I really liked and I hadn't thought of in terms of kind of commute constructing of um <laughs> of cycling routes um and I I've sort of noticed that you the, you profile other people um quite often in your writing as well and um correct me if I'm wrong kind of are quite drawn to other artists or people who are making things that whether that's bikes or art or or a kind of a or a service in the community and I just wondered if you could reflect on that and that interest 
Yeah, I think uh, I draw a lot of inspiration from people who have like multifaceted lives, you know, who um, who are able to to kind of to have these experiences in different spheres. You know, I think the most for me, <laughs> no offense to any listeners who may identify with this, but for me, the least interesting story is, you know, the, like the robotic, uh, pursuit of like optimization, <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it's, I understand that for some people it works and it is worth it. Also for me, it's, it's typically not, um, I often have wished that I could be somebody who landed on like one focus and then just just stayed with that. It was like, okay, this is like my thing. Um, but in, inevitably, I kind of always get pulled back to, you know, oh, well, like, what about this? And, and what about this? And I just think that that all ties into there's so many different ways to experience life. Um, and so, yeah, to your original point, I, I think it's interesting when, you know, you have you have somebody who can exist sort of on the creative side, but then also uh, find value in in, in athletic pursuits. Um, and I mean, just making stuff is, it's just cool. Like <laughs> on a basic level. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I'm sort of the lady that's got kind of 50 tabs open on the computer that yes. range from kind of like the galaxy and atoms to sort of pilgrimages to a newt <laughs> going on in the corner. Like, and sometimes I wish that I could just close down all those tabs and just have interest in the atom. <laughs> and then I think oh, that would be very dull because <laughs> <laughs> that would be condensing the world to, to that singular thing. So I, I'm so glad that you've reflected on that in a, in a, in a positive manner. And I'm also interested or curious in, um, do you think that actually the relationship between journalists and writers and small makers and producers is growing more important in terms of building communities in terms of drawing sorry that communities word again <laughs> but in terms of telling those stories and then sustain like sustaining public interest and custom in those initiatives oh gosh um I have no idea um is more something to reflect on together it just struck me as I was thinking yeah uh, I mean I just think it it just totally depends on like the, sp the the space the industry that that you're talking about I think in the bike space like absolutely mm -hmm. you know I think especially people who um who prefer prefer more like adventure kind of riding you know I think that the cool thing about bikes unlike a lot of other activities is that the, the bike itself, um, for, for some people is like this, this like outlet of expression because it's this physical thing that is actually like the point of like your activity, you know, unlike running shoes or, or, you know, climbing, um, gear and whatnot, those things are just sort of a like they're, they're necessary for the activity, but they're also uh, oh accessories like to the activity mm -hmm. whereas with riding bikes like your bike is the only reason that cycling exists um 
So I think in the more alternative corners of, of the cycling industry, um, people can get really attached to the way that their bike is presented, you know, similar to how like you get dressed to like go outside and like, that is an expression of like who you are. Uh, I think that's even, that's even more amplified kind of like in the alternative bike space. And so, yeah, people, you know, that read, you know, the, the Radivist, one of the publications I write for, they, I think they're very interested in hearing about those people and those connections. Um, but I wouldn't say that's true across industries necessarily. Hmm. I guess it reflects a kind of growing trend in that sort of long form writing that is is now being used in conjunction with endurance sports. Whilst people might have had the perception in in the past that all kind of bike or running related things are going to be kind of the super sort of ner- <laughs> nerdy stuff that is just about nutrition or, or which which shoe to pick, for example, rather than this more kind of reflective storytelling aspect of things, which as we've as we've touched on throughout this conversation is really kind of what it's what it's about in terms of of, of connecting with people. Um a few kind of final things to to reflect on. What excites you at the moment in the creative and outdoor spaces? Um, oh gosh, I should have prepared an answer. <laughs> no, I should have sent it to you beforehand. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. Um, let me just think for a second. I write about these kind of folks all the time. Um, I mean, I think that in riding bikes people it's I don't even really want to point to like one person because it's really just anybody who's going out there and trying to like push themselves in whatever way that looks like um you know I honestly I just feel like I'm kind of still getting uh into like bikepacking and I know a lot of people who have been doing this for like a decade plus or or even people who are new to it who just like have fully gone you know dove in straight in and they've done like a dozen events in like two years or something I think that that's kind of mind-blowing um but so yeah in in the bike space I would say anybody who's looking to challenge themselves in a way that will like lead to personal growth is inspiring I read stories like that from from people across the experience spectrum on the Radivist all the time. Um, and then in running, um, I don't know many creatives in the running space, but I would say that, you know, people who are just trying to do things a little bit differently inspire me, you know, like I know that, uh, Caitlin, uh, is it Gerben or Gerben? I've never been sure on that. Um, um, my Gerben? pronunciation of most things isn't very good. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with whichever you pick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that she and uh, Jenny Abag, who I've historically thought it was a climber, like partnered up this past year uh, to do like a multi-day route together. And I thought that was just like super cool. And I listened to an interview with Caitlin talking about it and she was kind of framing it as like, we want to 
we want to do this route because we hope that in 10 years time or in five years time, this will be what people are going for. Um, you know, and then, um, people going for like FKT kind of stuff, depending on the route, like Katie Scheid has done like a lot of cool mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and she also just seems like a really like humble and like down to earth person. Um, I find her inspiring. Um, I've always found, even though she's less public now, I've always found like Claire Gallagher to be super inspiring because she seems like, she just seems like she can only do things the way that feel good for her. You know, she just has no uh, tolerance for like putting on any kind of like social media, like persona. And, and I've always just been, uh, yeah, impressed by that. Um, so yeah, I would say those would be a few, a few folks just like offhand. Yeah, those are, those are all in, incredible individuals, I think. I'm, I'm wondering wonder now, because you do have so many different things that you are interested in, what's next for you? Yeah, um, this time of year, um, I do think that I, I love this time of year, by the way. I love just like having the excuse that darkness provides of just being at home early. You know, I'm I'm a huge homebody. Um, despite the fact that we've been traveling a ton lately. Um, so I would say, you know, we do have some travel coming up. Um, we'll go to uh, my partner's dad's house in Nebraska for Christmas. But otherwise, for the next couple of months, I really do kind of want to commit to, you know, the whole like the base building thing. You know, it's, uh, it's funny because I know earlier I said like, I, I don't really... Uh, get inspired by like a more robotic approach. <laughs> However, <laughs> this, um, this season, I, I just haven't noticed a lot of, um, change in my own performance sort of on, um, Oh, just like local, you know, outings that I can use as like test pieces here. So I do want to take a more structured approach to my own training, um, mm. for this year. And so I'm going to, um, yeah, I really try to take kind of like the base building period like seriously uh, these next couple of months. And and I also think just from like a mental and emotional standpoint, it's it's really nice to give your brain and your body just like the low and the slow uh, period. Um, yeah. Um, and then we actually are going to be heading down to Patagonia uh, in Argentina in February. Um, so maybe I'll I'll get up to some things down there. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Do you tend to um do you train in inverted commas together or do you just let each other do do your own thing? Oh no, 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 no. We we train basically I would say seventy five percent of the time like just doing our own thing. Mm. Yeah. And then we'll come we'll get out, you know, maybe once a week to climb together or ride bikes, but uh I think we both like having that time as as our own time and and you just check in with your body and just kind of do whatever you're feeling yeah do you find that helps as well in terms of a kind of a, a model for a, a relationship between two very driven people do you find that 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 helps to kind of balance it too <laughs> yes I mean you know every relationship is different um for us you know because I work from home. Mm. Um, 
Tony is essentially home, you know, if he's not out like recreating. Um, I do think it's important for us to have that time because our, our place is small. I mean, we're, we're very used to spending a ton of time together. And I think unlike, well, I don't want to say unlike, but I, I do think that we're very comfortable spending a bunch of time together. Um, but I do think it's important in a relationship to still have your own identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for us, best way to kind of like tap into that is through, you know, our individual activities. And so when you, when you know that you just have that, that personal time every day, it's, it's kind of a nice balance in that sense. Yeah. I think, I think that sounds like very, very, a a very wise balance between (laughs) you've got a column as an agony aunt at some point, I think as well in that. (laughs) Um, And my final question um, is what does joy mean to you? Uh, um, for me, that probably looks like those, those moments, uh, when you're, when you're out, you know, running or, or riding, when you're not like projecting into the future, you're not like dwelling on something that's past, just, I guess the best way to say it is full presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I often find those times when there's like an obvious like change happening you know sunrise sunset I don't know I think it's something about the juxtaposition of like time is like moving and that's that's made more obvious when 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 you can see like the movement of the sun like really manifesting but then you're also just kind of feeling like firmly in the moment um there's yeah there's just something nothing like that feeling (laughs) And so apt to reflect on that at the the point in the year that we're at today as well. So thank you so, so much for for joining me and and thinking about such a myriad of really insightful topics. And I know there's that saying, I can't remember who wrote it, that you sort of like you, you, you read in order to kind of discover something about yourself. And I think that's true of conversations as well and I felt like I personally kind of (laughs) delved so much into things that I've been thinking and they kind of percolated through through talking to you and you've opened so many new avenues of thought for me so personally thank you and hopefully it will also um be inspiring to others who who listen to this and it's just always so wonderful to connect with with people who are kind of cross-pollinating across kind of the the outdoors the sports and and the creative arenas and and to totally like em- embrace that <laughs> and put that into the world because I think that's where really exciting and authentic <laughs> things <laughs> happen so thank you so much Haley, and um and yeah wishing you so much love and joy for everything that you've got coming up as well oh thank you so much yeah and uh thanks for the, the thoughtful questions and the, the provocative conversation I, I really enjoyed it thank you I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.